Good to see you today. We are going to have a good time as we consider the fact that this Jesus that we center our lives around, though they crucified him, when they went to the tomb on a Sunday morning like this, they said, uh, he's not here. And he started appearing to people. It was quite fascinating. As I was walking over here today, I just thought it was kind of like a morning like this where they were going and thinking, okay, our Savior's dead. And then, no, he's alive. And so today should be filled with joy and hope. Maybe you're not there yet. Sometimes I'm not. But as I think about this story more and more, it just it starts to fill my heart. And so I'm glad that you're here to join us on this Easter Sunday. Sometimes we call it by another name. We call it Resurrection Sunday. Because our Savior is alive. And so I'm glad that you're here This is going to be a great day for us as we consider King Jesus. King Jesus is an amazing individual. Some of us have heard this story for years. Some of us have been in this story for a few months. Some of you maybe will hear some of this for the first time, but this Jesus is an amazing individual. He is the Son of God, and yet he was also completely God. Uh, It's kind of mind-blowing that he can be the son of God, but he was God. We know some other things about him, that he, Jesus, has always existed. Just take a trip one day up to the mountains or over to the beach and just realize that he made all this before any of this was here. Jesus has always existed, and yet he became like one of us and was born and had a birth date as he was born in Bethlehem. We celebrated that just a few months ago. But he is God the Father's chosen one. Sometimes you'll hear words like Messiah. It means that God the Father said, he's my man to do the rescue. Or sometimes we hear the word Christ. Christ means the anointed one, that God has a plan for him to rescue us. And so Jesus is this risen king that we celebrate today. I want to show you some of this as we look in God's word today. If you have your Bible, or if not, grab the one sitting in front of you. We're going to be in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, page 896, if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you. While you're turning there, I would also encourage you to grab one of these connection cards. Dylan asked you to do this earlier. But there's a possibility today that as we talk about Jesus and we talk about how we can respond to him... Maybe God's going to put something on your heart and you're going to call out and say, you know what, I need some help or I need some prayer or I want to follow Jesus. I need to know more about Jesus. Whatever it might be, just grab one of these cards and by the end of the day, maybe God stirs in your heart to write something down. At the end of the day, we'd ask you to put that in one of the four joy boxes on the back wall. But one of the questions I want us to consider today is simply this, will the real king please stand up? We have been talking about it as a church, how Jesus is king, how he has a kingdom. But you and I live in a world where we hear that word king thrown around quite a bit. There have been many people throughout the course of history who have either claimed to be king or have had people say about them that they are the king. Let's think through some of the, a few of those if we could. First of all, let's talk about a basketball player named LeBron James. He is known as King James, all right? And so 
Some of us like him, some of us don't. He wins a lot of times, doesn't always win. What kind of a king is he? I'll just say this, he's not even the first King James, all right? There were some other King James before him from England, the King of England. There were other King James. Some of your Bibles might even say on their King James English. But there, there are lots of kings. Some of you, by watching the big silver screen, you saw Yul Brynner play a part in the movie what? The King and I, the King and I. And so here was a story about a king. And how could we forget this morning the famous Burger King? All right. All right. He's got to be considered in our list of great kings. In the music world, in the music world, there is the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, right? All right, and here is a king that many say has died, <laughs> and, uh, but we think he has. There is the king of pop, Michael Jackson. He's a king, right? Notice with those two, they have passed away. There's another king, and some of us watched him a couple days ago on TV, King Felix with the Seattle Mariners, all right? He usually performs quite poorly, though the other day he acted like a king on the baseball field. And then recently there was another death, uh, the great golfer who was known as simply the king, Arnold Palmer, right? Arnold Palmer. Though I think the younger generation thinks Arnold Palmer is just a drink that you get at the store, right? But he was a golfer. He was great. He was called the king. And then who can forget, maybe the greatest king of all, one of my favorites, the Lion King, Simba, all right? We actually have in our house a cat looking like him that we call Simba. But here are some of these kings. And all of these kings in one way or another uh, have been followed. But those kings have come and gone and have failed in many ways. But today I want us to look at one king. He's known as the king of of the universe, not the king of a baseball team, not the king of a basketball league, not the king of some type of music, but the king of the universe, the king who actually loves you and me. Those ones we put on the screen, they hardly know us. Maybe they did not know us. But this king that I'm talking about today, he loves you and he loves me. And this king that we're going to talk about today, he rose from the dead and that is King Jesus. So we're going to start by looking in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Let me fast forward you before we get to 10. Let me just do a little spoiler alert and get way back to the end of the book and let you know what this whole book's about. One of Jesus' disciples named John, a guy who followed Jesus for three years, he writes what you're about to read here, and at the end of his book, and you'll see this in your notes this morning, it says this, John says this, when he gets to the end, he said, I want you to know that Jesus did many miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. He did many of these. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to consider the, the fact that he rose as one of those miraculous signs, but John says he did many miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples that are actually not even written in this book. But he says, I want you to know what I wrote down. What I wrote down is this, so that you would believe that this Jesus is the one from God, that this Jesus is the Son of God, and that if you would believe in him, that you would have life in his name. 
So John says, what you're about to read here today, I wrote all these stories of Jesus that I saw with my eyes. I wrote down all these conversations I heard with my ears so that you would believe in him. Because if you would believe in this Jesus, you would have life like you've never had it before. And so Jesus, he did perform many miraculous signs. But this one that we celebrate today, being raised from the dead after a Friday crucifixion, this one certainly stands out. Jesus had made many claims about himself. Some people, when they heard Jesus, when they saw Jesus, the opinions differed. And maybe the opinions even differ in this room. And if you go out to the streets, the opinions certainly different, or, or they differ. Many people would say, oh, this Jesus, woo, he is the Son of God. What I just sang about, I, I believe this, he is this. Some people would say, ah, just too crazy, I don't believe it, I, I don't know about this. Some people are investigating this, maybe you're here today investigating this. But in John chapter 10 today, we read some words of Jesus and how he described himself. And then what he says about dying and what he says about rising again. And so I want you to read along with me as I read some of this. John chapter 10, start at verse 7, if you would. Said, so Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. And then look at verse 19. It says, There was a division again among the Jews because of these words. Many said he's a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? This is crazy talk. Verse 21, others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? If you read in the previous chapter, he had just performed another miracle. He had opened the eyes of the blind. And he's saying all this, and people are torn with, Who is this Jesus? And kings... Many powerful leaders, they will describe themselves. If we got to talk to any of those kings that we just talked about and said, describe yourself, 
How would you describe yourself? Jesus in this passage describes himself. I want you to write some of this down. King Jesus, first of all, we see that he described himself as a shepherd. This is one of the things that Jesus says. I'm a shepherd. Now that wasn't the most flattering self-portrait he could have said. He could have said, listen, I'm the son of God. You better listen to me. I am God. I created everything. At times he said things like this, but at this time he says, I'm a shepherd. It's not the most flattering self-portrait. Shepherding at the time was not a well-respected job. These guys just hang out with stinky animals all day. And Jesus described the work that he did. And let's look at this. Go to verse 11 again. I want to look at this passage of few different ways this morning. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you'll notice, he says that over and over. I lay my life down. I lay my life down for the sheep. I lay my life down for the sheep. Friday night, many of us were here and we remembered this, that Jesus laid down his life for the sheep and and we took a red piece of paper and we put our name on it saying our debt was paid by this shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. One of the things I want you to hear in this is that Jesus is willing to die. Jesus is willing to die. Not many kings would do that. Not many leaders would do that for their people. They may say that, but I haven't seen that too many times where a king says, I'm willing to die for my people. Jesus not only was willing, but this is what he did. This is what we celebrated on Friday night and remembered. What does that tell you about Jesus? What does that tell you about Jesus, that he's willing to lay down his life for you and me? You either got to think, man, this guy's crazy, or he's just that good, right? I was thinking about this, that he would lay down his life for us. And I remember about 25 years ago, I was working as a, at a church one summer, helping out with their youth, and they take this annual trip to Yosemite National Park, and they asked me to babysit the youth while we were at Yosemite National Park, and one of the nights they said, could we go on a walk? And I said, well, not alone. I'll go with you. And we went up, and raise your hand if you've been to Yosemite National Park. Yeah, and you've seen the stars there, and you're like, oh, man, I've never seen stars like this. And I've told this story, but I just love this story. Because what happens as we go, they said, go enjoy the stars, enjoy creation, just be careful about bears, All right, they said, don't leave food out. There are bears. So we're a little scared. We're going to stay on the path. We're not going to be gone too long because of the bears. And we looked at the stars and we had a fantastic time. Just, wow, this is impressive. And God made all of this. And on the way back, one of the middle school kids says, Did you hear that noise in the woods? No, and I don't want to hear any noise in the woods. I'm sure I heard something. Let's just then quietly walk by. And as we're walking by, one of these kids says, I'm sure I heard a bear. And I started hurrying and said, then let's just leave this bear alone. And before long, we hear this terrible sound. I'm like, run. And so we're running, and there's one little girl. She's like, I've got asthma, and I'm pushing her. She must have had, you know, just my handprints in her back. I'm like, run. And I'm thinking at this point, someone's got to die. 
And it's either going to be this girl with asthma or it's going to be me as the leader. And I remember thinking, this is why they're paying me to do this. I've got to, when I see or hear the bear, I'm just going to turn around and take it on. And I remember the old quote, you don't have to outrun a bear. You just have to outrun one person, right? <laughs> and so I'm tempted. I know I can outrun the girl with the asthma. Let her be the sacrifice. Let her later down her life for us. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. This is my job. And I'm pushing her and kicking her and we're running. Shh, just go, go. And just thinking, this is my time. And Lord, what will they say at my funeral that I gave my life? Just Seriously, you can think this fast while you're running, right? <laughs> we run, we get around a corner, and we hide behind a building. We're like, we made it. <laughs> we outran the bear. That was a stupid thought. I don't think we could really outrun the bear. We get back to the place, and we're telling the church family, like, <gasps> We heard a bear. We outran the bear. We thought we were going to die. One of the college-age kids go, what did the bear sound like? And I'm like, it sounded like, and he said, did it sound like this? I'm like, no, you didn't. (laughs) No bear. (laughs) But I was willing I was willing to lay down my life. I'm glad I didn't have to. I was kind of willing, but I was also willing to let this grow. I was torn there. I was torn, really torn. Glad we really didn't have to make that final choice. But as I read this, and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Every time I read this, I I just remember that story and being, would I do this, Lord? And Jesus does. He's willing to die, and we remember that, as I said, Friday night. We can remember that today. We can remember that the rest of our life, that this is what Jesus did. He said, I'm willing to lay down my life for you and not just be crucified, which I can't imagine that, but then to take on the sins of you and me. Jesus does this. And so this is one aspect of the good shepherd. Another one is this. Go down to verse 17, if you would. Jesus says this, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. That had to uh, surprise the disciples as he was saying this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So when Jesus here was saying, I'm the good shepherd and I'm willing to die, he's also saying this, that he is promised and he was empowered to rise again. This had to blow their minds as they were thinking this. They didn't even understand this. But after they see him die, after they see him rise again, they say, you know what, this Jesus, he was empowered by God. He promised this, that he would lay it down and take his life up again. There's something to this guy. This is what we remember today, this truly miraculous event that Jesus would come to life again. Again, some of you might say, I'm not sure I believe it. Listen, Jesus appeared to people over a period of 40 days. It says he appeared to 500 people. Not just one or two that might change the story, but it was hundreds. Some touched where his wounds were. He says, yes, I can lay my life down, but I promised you, and I am empowered to rise again. What 
kind of king is this that can promise that and be empowered to rise again? What kind of king, here's the question for you and me, will you follow? What kind of king will you give your life to serve? Let me ask you this. What kind of king are you serving right now? Maybe it's the boss. Maybe it's the company. Maybe you're saying, I don't serve any king. I'll tell you this. If you don't serve King Jesus, then you at least serve yourself as king. And you can't do what Jesus did because you are not the eternal son of God. No one is empowered like Jesus to fulfill the promises he said. I'm going to talk about this more later. But let me share two more aspects of Jesus' shepherding found in verse 10 that speaks about one of the greatest problems for the sheep. Verse 10, go up there if you would. Jesus said this, there's also a thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. You see, just as a shepherd would protect the sheep from the predators, Jesus came with this goal of protecting us from our ancient enemy. I want you to know this, that Jesus came to protect you from your ancient enemy. There is one who wants to kill you, to destroy you, to destroy your faith, to destroy your joy. He wants to ruin every good thing in you. Even on a day like this where there's celebration, you may have even felt it. I know I have. There have been little things that come up and it's like somebody's trying to steal my joy. Somebody's trying to keep me from living victoriously today. Somebody, someone is trying to destroy my faith in the king. And it's this ancient enemy, Satan. One of Jesus' disciples later would say, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. And lions don't just play with you. Lions would come to destroy you. This is our ancient enemy. And when Jesus spoke of himself as a shepherd, then he spoke of his desire to bless. He says, there's one who's trying to destroy your faith, destroy your life, destroy your relationships, just destroy everything about you. But I have come, he says, that you may have life and have it abundantly. Because Jesus says, I'm desiring to give you life. This is the heart of this king. This is the heart of this shepherd. I desire to give you life. Now, if you think about this for a second, I think this is what every single one of us want deeply. I want life. I want good times. Maybe even today you're thinking, I want a big piece of ham, all right? I want to rest. I want some scones or muffins or something down at that reception. You and I just started thinking about, I want to experience life. I want you to know that Jesus has this desire for you as well. A life full of meaning. A life full of joy. You and I, we just happen to go after it in very different ways than Jesus would have us go after it. Look at this word, abundantly, he says. I've come to give you life abundantly. It means with deepest 
meaning in life. This is what, I, I, not just so that you'd have a lot of money for a few years and then die. I want you to experience abundant, deep meaning of life now and for all time. I want you to enjoy what I've created. But I want you to put it in proper perspective. You and I, we just messed this up. God says, man, I created great beauty in creation. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it and then praise me. And you and I, we enjoy it and then we forget him. And he says, I want you to have deep meaning. I want you to enjoy what is created, but I really want you to know your creator. I want you to know your king. I want you to experience him now. This is what God would want for us, to have a life with meaning, to have a life with hope, to actually know your maker. You see, church isn't just we go here and we get entertained and we hear some things. I would hope that you, I could help cause you to see that God has been so good in your life that you have a great need for him, that you would get to know him and experience him that you would see the source of all blessings in your life? Now let's just ask this. If Jesus says, I'm coming to give abundant life, let's ask this question. Did he have an abundant life? Let's just look at his life and say, was this an abundant life? He was crucified, well, that's not real good, around the age of 33. It's like, well, what kind of life can you have if you're being crucified at the age of 33? At times he was homeless. Is he missing out on the abundant life? As so much of his life, he had to have others take care of him. You and I, we try to get to the point where we say, I don't need anybody else. I hardly need God. I'm self-sustaining. What's the abundant life that Jesus is living it's more than having the nice home. It's more than being able to provide for yourself. It's more than living a long life. Did Jesus live an abundant life? Absolutely. Many times he had to be provided for others. We would say that's a sign of a, a weak life. Oh, I had to ask for help. Oh, that's not an abundant life. Wait a second. This is how Jesus lived most of his life. He was a great teacher, but the Jews and the Romans, they, they got the best of him. They had him killed. He spoke of a, an eternal kingdom, but he's dead by 33. Did Jesus live an abundant life? Yeah. He is the king of all kings. And today we remember that because he is alive. He is risen. And I don't want you to start thinking, okay, he's going to promise me an abundant life, and so that means my health is great. At 33, he was crucified. So the abundant life has to be more than our physical conditions, right? It has to be about knowing our Heavenly Father. And because he rose from the dead as he said he would, because King Jesus was victorious over the grave, I want you to hear this, that what he promises is true. And I want to finish our time today by just sharing a few of his promises. Here's this shepherd, and he says, this is 
my plan, and this is what I'm doing. But because he is raised from the dead, what he promises is true. And I want to share three thoughts with you on this. One, write this down if you would, that you and I have a sin problem. Jesus talked about this. You and I have a sin problem. I'm not going to just say you, it's me too. We're all born with this. Evil thoughts, hatred, the fact that we would want to be self-reliant. Anything where we say, I don't need God, that's a sin problem. Jesus said, you and I, we have this problem. We were born with this problem. We will all admit that some sins seem a little more socially uh, acceptable than other sins, but Jesus really got to the core issue that every single one of us have a sin problem. When you go down to the reception today, everybody you look at has a sin problem. All have sinned. It's a massive problem we have. But notice this, that not only do you and I have a sin problem, what that means is that you and I need his forgiveness. When Jesus says then, I'm going to lay down my life and rise, and he does. So when he says you have a sin problem and you need forgiveness, take this one to the bank. Take this one to the bank that we need is forgiveness. You and I don't necessarily need better behavior. It's like, okay, God, I'm going to promise to do better. He doesn't say, I I want you to do better necessarily. I want you to find forgiveness in me. I want you to have faith. I want you to trust me as the king, as the shepherd. I just want you to trust me. I want you to trust that I paid the debt. You do not work this one off. You trust me. And so Jesus offers forgiveness. He produces a new life in us. Simply ask him, Jesus, would you forgive me? And on the cross he says, I I paid the debt. It's paid in full. The work is finished. Trust me on this one. You've got a sin problem. I've got the answer. It's forgiveness. Would you trust me? Over and over we read, and I encourage you to be reading in your Bibles. You'll see on the back of your notes even some more that we're going to be reading as a church family this week. One of the things that Jesus marvels at is people's faith. He says, you trusted me, I will bring healing. You trusted me, I'll forgive your sins. You trusted me, I'll raise the dead. Trust him with this one. Another promise that I want you to look at is this, that Jesus says that you and I will experience trouble. Again, the one who says, I'm going to lay down my life, but I'm going to be able to lift it up and rise again. If that is true, then this is true. When he says you will experience trouble. You may not want to hear that one either. I mean, you're like, man, I got a sin problem and I have trouble. Yes, all of us are going to experience trouble. We live in a broken world. We live in a world we have an, where we have an enemy I've already shared. Jesus experienced trouble. He had one friend betray him. He had an, other friends disown him. He had some of his followers shout, crucify him. He experienced trouble. As I mentioned, he experienced homelessness. He experienced hunger. 
He experienced death of family and friends. So don't think that the abundant life equates to an easy life. When you hear this, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you abundant life. Don't equate abundant life with an easy life. That's not the answer. Because if you do, you'll leave here and say, I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Life is difficult. It must not be working out. I need to pull the ejection cord on this one. No, I want you to know, don't equate abundant life with easy life. It wasn't that way for Jesus. It's not that way for any of us. You and I will experience trouble, and so what you and I need is his peace. Would you write this down? Not the absence of problems, but we need his peace. Jesus said things like this, I'll be near to you. I will comfort you. That's the abundant life. That's the abundant life, that the God of the universe would be near to you, that he would comfort you. Jesus says things like this, I'm going to give you rest in your mind and in your heart. That is the abundant life, that he would give you rest in your heart and in your mind. He says, I'm just going to show you how bad life can be. I'm going to allow myself to be crucified. But what I'm going to give you in this abundant life is peace that you can't explain. Jesus says things like this, I may not calm the storm, but I'm going to hold you close. You and I, we go through different storms in life. And he says, this one, I'm just going to let the storm ride out in your life. But the abundant life is this, that I will be near and I will come close. And you will actually get to experience me. That's the abundant life. Doesn't necessarily sound like the American dream, but that is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. He says, when the storm hits, when the diagnosis is bad, whatever the trouble may be, I'm going to come close to you and offer my abundant life. You say, oh, I want that peace. Then ask him. Simply ask him in your struggle. In your, you can say, God, please take this away. He may not. But you can ask, would you give me your peace? And he says, oh, I'll give you that. Let me throw, show you one last promise that Jesus gives. And it says this, that you and I will fail him. It's a promise that at times we will fail God. Jesus knew this as he looked at a Judas and as he looked at Peter and as he looked at his other disciples. And he says, I know this, that you're going to fail me. All of us are going to struggle with this. Some of it's going to be wild living Catch this, some of it's going to be self-righteousness, right? Some will be, oh, I can't believe you'd do that. But listen, having a thought like that, that is failing God. Having a self-righteousness like you made yourself righteous. We will all fail him. You might relapse with a substance, but more than likely you will relapse with selfishness. Jesus says, you're going to fail. You're going to fail me at times. You're going to do this. 
But here's the great news is he doesn't keep score like we keep score. <laughs> when our friends and family fail us, we kind of keep score. <laughs> Jesus does not when he says, no, nope, that debt has been paid in full. It really goes back to this. Have you trusted? Have you placed your faith in the one who can trade your sinfulness for his sinlessness? Have you trusted in him? He goes, listen, I know this about every single one of us. We're going to fail in one way. Self-righteousness, selfishness, whatever it is. He says, but have you trusted? Have you placed your faith in me and said, you know what? I have to trade God all of my sin for the sinlessness of Jesus. And I trust that that covers me. I trust that that makes me right in the eyes of God. And even though I fail him, then what I need is this, his open arms. I want you to know that this is what God has for you. He has open arms. I hope today you get a chance to hug some people. Maybe there's somebody you haven't seen in a while. Go ahead and hug somebody. This idea of having open arms for them. And know that when that happens, this is what God has for you. He sees my failure. He sees your failure. But if you have trusted in Christ, he says, come running to me, son. Come running to me, daughter. I love you. I know you failed. But I've got open arms for you, full of love, full of grace. Your response is simply to run to him, run to him. You see, this is what the good shepherd offers, unending love, amazing grace. He doesn't want you to stay in your sin. He doesn't want you to try to work it off and say, okay, I'm going to church for the next four weeks. I'm going to be really, he doesn't necessarily want that. He wants you to run to him, to trust him. That the work of Jesus paid for you. Let's go to verse 19 and finish up here today. And it says, after he talked about being a good shepherd, talked about the enemy, talked about laying his life down, talked about rising again. At verse 19 it says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, man, he is, has a demon He's insane. Why listen to him? No way. Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can you open the eyes of the blind? That's not even the greatest miracle we're celebrating today. He had done that. They had just seen that. But as I look at this, the crowd is torn. There's division in the crowd. Maybe that's even in your heart today, in this room. Who is this Jesus? Here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. How will I choose to respond to King Jesus today? How will I choose to respond to him? I'd like you to think through that. I'd like you to wrestle with that. I'd like you to answer that. How will you respond to King Jesus today? I want you to reflect on this question in light of the cross that Jesus endured for you, in light of the tomb that is now empty, in light of his words, how will you and I respond to King Jesus today? How? Maybe you need to ask of something from him. 
Maybe you need to run to him. How will I choose to respond to King Jesus today? I do want you to write down some of your thoughts. But let me offer one last thought. And it's simply this. Trust. Trust. Trust the good shepherd. Trust him. I know this, that every single person in this room needs Jesus. We need him for abundant life. And he says, simply trust me. Do you trust that I'm the good shepherd? Do you trust that I'm the one who can take care of you? If you would follow me, that I would lead you into abundant life? Will you trust me on this one? I know this, that every single person in this room needs Jesus. We need his forgiveness. We all have a sin problem. I get the luxury of looking out here and saying, I I see all these faces, and I know they're like me. We have a sin problem. What we need from Jesus is forgiveness. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to try to work it off, or will you simply trust the good shepherd that his son has paid for you? I know this, that every single one of us in this room, we need Jesus, that we need his peace. There's storms in your life. There's trials, tribulation, you call it, whatever. There's problems. You can ask him to take it away. Most likely he'll say, you know what? I want you to learn something right now. I want you to grab a hold of me. And what we need is his peace. Ask him. Trust him. Jesus, is your peace enough? Would you trust the good shepherd? I know this, that every single one of this room needs Jesus, and we need to keep returning to him. Keep returning to him. Some of you return for the first time. Some of you just keep returning to him. Because like sheep, we just start wandering off, and the good shepherd says, come over here. Let me show you what life is like. And the call is to return to him. Will you trust him enough to keep doing that? Will you trust the good shepherd? I would hope today that as you consider the king, the victorious king, who was crucified for you, who has been raised to life, I would hope that you'd see this king says, I'm actually a shepherd for you as well. I came for you, my loved sheep. Trust me. I'll give you this abundant life. Look different than some of the dreams you might have, but it's truly abundant life. Would you trust me on this one? I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads with me and just reflect for a moment, and then we will sing a song together. Just ask God, how do you want me to respond to you today? And it may be as simple as this words, trust me. Trust me for forgiveness. Trust me for abundant life. Trust me for peace. Trust me for forgiveness. Because I'm the victorious one.
And maybe you're here today and you say, yeah, I've gone through this Easter story a gazillion times and yeah, I kind of know it. Trust him again today with everything you have. Maybe you're checking out Jesus and trying to figure this out. And he says, trust me for the very first time. Simply say, I choose to trust you, my good shepherd. And he says, then I will lead you into a life abundant. I have forgiven your sins. I will give you peace. Trust me today and trust me always. Trust me when you fail. Keep returning back to me. Heavenly Father, I I do thank you for this day and what this means. If the tomb had the dead body of Jesus, we would have said, man, he, he seemed like a good teacher, but he doesn't know about abundant life. He's dead and gone. But that's not what happened. You raised him to life. You have given us life as we have trusted in this king, this good shepherd. And so today, would you fill our hearts with this joy that there is a good shepherd who is showing us the way today and tomorrow and throughout all eternity. God, would you help us to find forgiveness in you? Would you pour out your peace on our hearts and on our minds? Would you show us the way of abundant life? And because, Jesus, you have been raised from the dead, we know for certain that what you say is true. We can follow you. You do give what you promise. So we thank you for your victory. Help us to celebrate that today as we see people, as we eat food, as we rest in your goodness, as we trust you over and over and over again. We thank you for your victory. We thank you for the hope that that gives. We commit our lives to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us?